This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Tonight, we're excited to meet our first Democratic Secretary of State in 57 years, Secretary Steve Hobbs. He was appointed to the position by Governor Jay Inslee after serving in the Washington State Senate for 15 years, serving as chair of the Transportation Committee. He's the first AAPI Secretary of State in the country. He's also a 30-plus year veteran of our military and serves as Lieutenant Colonel in the Washington National Guard. We welcome your questions and comments tonight, so please submit those in the chat box when you have them. And with that, I will hand things over to our moderator, Stephen Cox. Thank you, Kat. And thanks to all who are joining us, as Kat said, uh, wherever you are joining us, if you are seeing the replay of this or if you're joining us here tonight, we're so excited to have you. Uh, Secretary of State Steve Hobbs, welcome. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Doing great. After that intro, uh, I feel a lot of anxiety now. Wow. Well, listen, we're going to break down all of your many, many qualifications. So, you know, made the discomfort continue, but only in a good way, uh, we're hoping. So, you know, um, here's why I would love to start a conversation. For those who who may not know, um, I would love to start with just kind of the basics of your job. I know that there's a lot to it, obviously, but just kind of broad strokes. What does the Secretary of State do? You know, the joke is uh, amongst many Secretary of State, they call they call Secretary of State the junk drawer of state government. They just kind of throw things in there. Uh, constitutionally, you know, we protected the seal of the state of Washington, and then we literally did secretarial work, you know, recording things. But obviously, that's evolved. And you probably know, um, and, and your listeners know us as the um, the runners of elections, the managers of elections, where... We support the 39 counties that actually do that on the ground. Uh, we do the certifications. We do the reviews. We, we assist the counties in, in doing the election. And, of course, uh, we've evolved quite a bit into uh, uh, protecting our elections security-wise uh, against cyber threats and misinformation, disinformation. But we have other wonderful parts of the Secretary of State's uh, office, such as the library. So... We do the we uh, own the state library and we have libraries in all of our state prisons and hospitals. And we uh, uh, we cooperate and work with all the other libraries out there. We don't run them, but all your your local municipal uh, libraries. We have archives. So all those documents, uh, you know, you have a wedding, um, buy some buy, buy some land, buy a house. You know, we, we have all those documents going back to our t- territorial territorial days um and in the process of trying to digitize a a lot of that stuff we have the state constitution that we have um that's very well protected we also have state legacy so we do things like oral histories and we honor uh important historical events so coming up we'll be honoring the 10th anniversary of marriage equality so that is really cool so we'll bring we're bringing that up shortly we're already uh, talking to people that took part in that uh, so we can get a recording of that. Uh, we also have corporations, charities, and nonprofits. So, you know, if you want to file an LLC or do a charity or nonprofit, you got to go through us. Uh, we also have a really interesting program that protects um, folks who are victims of domestic violence and, and various crimes where we protect their addresses uh, from disclosure. So, um, you know, it's a very sensitive area, protecting a lot of people um, and families. So we have a lot of uh, wonderful and interesting things in our office. Of course, 
you know, a lot of people are concerned about elections, uh, but that is not the majority of my employees in the office. I have a lot of things, but I do tell you that elections keep me up at night. I'm sure that they do. And please put a pin in that because I want to delve into that very deeply in just a moment. Uh, so much of what you've touched on, I would like to get into. Certainly the junk drawer analogy is apt, <laughs> if, if not terribly flattering. But uh, you do so much. Um, you, you mentioned uh, that you, uh, I believe the word you used was manage elections. I just want to put a, a very fine point on this. The Secretary of State does not administer elections. That is the job correct. of the auditors, correct? That is correct. Uh, we're there to support, right? So... We're there to certify elections. We are there to provide training because uh, um, each county has to have at least a minimum of two uh, certified uh, folks running their elections. Um, and if they, they need support, so let's say um, they need an issue with their cybersecurity or they need grant money. Um, so there's a lot of aspects of the job that, um, in terms of support that we give to the 39 counties out there. And it's only increased with the um, increased threats of, of cyber threats and, and misinformation disinformation. Well, you're touching on what I would love to get into next, which is the fact that this, the position of Secretary of State has taken on some new significance, I think, in the post-Trump era. The name Brad Raffensperger has become something of a household name. And um, we can get into the specifics of all the work that you do on the job, and, and I intend to. But I'm wondering how you see the importance of the position right now, just given the myriad challenges that we're facing. Uh, you know, you brought up a good point that this, the position has changed, has evolved. In fact, not just this, this, uh, Secretary of State's position in Washington State, but all around the United States. It's now become necessary to have people who are, um, knowledgeable on national security issues. I have, uh, I served in the, the NSA. I, uh, graduated from command, the Army Command and General Staff College course. So we were at national security issues are, are taught. And I'm a recent graduate of Department of Defense Information School. Uh, so that, that's good when we're combating misinformation and disinformation. Uh, we've seen what happened in the January 6th hearings. Uh, we saw what happened during January 6th. And let me remind the folks out there, we had our own problem right here in Washington State where they tried to storm the uh, our own capital and had to call the National Guard. In fact, several of my soldiers were there uh, that were called up at our own state capital. So it's become real serious. And one thing that the uh, your viewers and listeners may not know is that newly appointed secretaries of state, newly appointed or elected, will be approached by Homeland Security for um, the opportunity of receiving a security clearance. And the reason is because we have constant meetings with Homeland Security, the FBI, and CISA. CISA is Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency. It's a mouthful. It's under the Homeland Security, and that's where Kim Wyman went to, by the way, when she was appointed by, uh, by President Biden. You know, once again, so much that I really want to get into, particularly the security issues, and we will unpack that in just a moment. But as Kat said, you're the first Democrat to hold this position in 57 years. And generally speaking, Democrats stand for expanding access to the ballot, uh, not restricting it, as Republicans, I believe, uh, uh, do. I wonder if you could just talk kind of briefly about your philosophy on, on voting rights generally. Sir, certainly. Uh, what I want to try to do is I want to, I want to make sure everybody... Uh, who is eligible as a citizen uh, has the opportunity to vote and uh, just taking um, what my mom believes because you know my mom who's an Asian immigrant uh, uh, she came to this country you know she believes it's your duty to vote right so 
I want to make sure that we have that opportunity. We put in quite a bit of money into voter outreach uh, that hasn't really been um, been done before, just because the budgets were constrained, et cetera, et cetera. But we had we've had good revenues, and so uh, the legislature, uh, through my request, uh, granted me the the resources I need. So now we're in the process of hiring. We're going to take a chat. We're going to take a chapter uh, out of King County where they use what's called the Trusted Messenger Program, which are people who are from the community who know the language, know the culture, uh, to interact with these communities. Also, what we plan to do is uh, create uh, relationships and working uh, working relationships with organizations because I don't have I can't hire enough people, obviously, to do all the work. So, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked to the Hispanic Chamber. Um, of commerce in eastern washington we talked about the possibility of working together so we can do outreach in their community uh, and uh, you might have heard about uh ballot rejection rates are four times as high in black communities and uh asians is twice as much hispanics three times as much and we want to try to get at that so um well, actually, can I, can I just important. jump in right, right there very quickly? Because yeah. we've had an audience question about that from uh, Demita asking about mm-hmm. how you will address the reports of the high number of ballots being rejected in communities of color. And I understand that you've requested a study on, on ballot rejection rates. Yes. What do you hope to find here? Right. So the study that was originally written that we got back from the state auditor was it told us, hey, this is what's happening. Now we need to do another study. To find out how do we address that? How do we get at it? In the meantime, while that is going on, because that's going to take a, take a while, there's things that we can do now to try to address the issue. So, for example, we're looking into um, possible text messaging, uh, which it's like, you, isn't that a surprise? I mean, we're, we're, it's 2022. We should be doing it now. But um, it's something that we're trying to get this, our system doing. I'm hoping it'll be in the general election, but we'll see. And the idea is that if your ballot is rejected, and a lot of it is signatures, right? So it's a signature. You forget to sign it or your signatures don't match. And what we want to do is notify the voter, hey, look, your signature didn't match. You need to go um, cure your ballot. You need to contact the county auditor's office. Also, just, um, you know, we've seen all the ads, right? Don't forget to vote. Remember to vote. Remember to turn your ballot. Well, we also got to add, don't forget your sign. Don't forget to sign your ballot too, right? right. And, and and I think going out to these communities where English is not their first language, and reminding them that you need to sign the ballot, I think that's going to be very important as well. Um, look, let's look at my mom, Asian immigrant. Like letters, right? They, they, it's characters, right? So obviously, my mom now, fast forward, you know, fifty some years, you know, she she knows to sign her ballot, but. Think about those new immigrants come to this country and they're naturalized. Now they're American citizens. They come from China. They come from Indonesia. You know, the 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 alphabet is not is unknown to them, right? Sure. They're, not, they're not familiar with it. So we just have to help those communities uh, with this process of signing. And by the way, uh, young males are also rejected quite a bit. And the th- there's a theory on that. And the theory is is that. Like my son was taught cursive and then my other younger sons were not taught, taught cursive. So right. when you see them sign things that just do little scribbles, it's like, hey, stop that. Just print your name. It's OK. That's a signature, too. And be consistent about it. 
that's actually a very, very interesting and, and evolving problem, I, I would imagine, in terms of being able to match signatures for people who are no longer learning cursive. And I also just want to do a quick call back to your mother, who uh, said that she believes it's her duty to vote. Can we get her to be an ambassador out there? I really feel that we could use that sort of messaging for people. It's like, this is her duty. Absolutely. this is. <laughs> yeah, well, we would love to have somebody doing it. Uh, another audience question comes from Louise, who would love to get your thoughts on ranked choice voting. This is seen by many indivisibles as more equitable. What are your thoughts here? So uh, th this is one thing that your listeners and, and viewers may not may be slightly unhappy about. I, I'm not a fan of ranked choice voting at this particular time. And I'm going to tell you why. Number one, it is hard to get people to vote right now. All right. And the amount of misinformation, disinformation that is happening in our country and against our country from malign actors such as Russia and China and, and terrorist groups is hard enough right now. It is simpler to do our current system. Also, what I'm very concerned about is citizens, new citizens who come to this country, who come from come from a country where voting is just like we're doing now, or in some cases, they just don't, they can't vote, right? I mean, because they come from an, uh, an autocratic system. So they come here, and now you're asking them to do ranked choice voting you may think it's simple because you are you know about it, but imagine the new immigrant. I don't think it's fair to the under, underrepresented communities, the, the communities of color, Im, immigrant communities especially, when you're asking them to vote in a way that is almost alien to them, and that you have to explain that you have to you know do these ranks. the The other problem is I'm very concerned about. This is ties to misinformation and disinformation. Rank choice voting. Um, is reliant on an algorithm. Now, we all know when there's close races, okay, we, we, we do the, you know, if they're really close, you do a hand recount, right? It's very simple. Whoever has the most votes win. Now, if it's a close race, you're looking at an algorithm. Now, imagine now uh, people out there trying to tear that apart. So, well, I thought the algorithm is, you know, obviously that was manipulated or whatever. And we know that's not true. But that's just another element that now we have to fight against in this war um, of misinformation, disinformation against our democracy, against the foundation of our democracy, which is the elections. Well, and so that's so what I'm very concerned about. Right. And I know that everybody on this call shares your concern here. And so I do want to talk about these specific threats to elections. And I'd, I'd very much like to read something that Governor Inslee said at your appointment. He said, quote, we wanted someone who would be capable of working with the multiple players involved in our effort to defeat the national security threats now that nation states, unfortunately, have been attacking our electoral system. So that's from without. But I'm wondering, broadly speaking, where do you see this, the, the threats specifically to our elections here in Washington? Right. So what I'm about to tell you is probably going to alarm some of you. So I, when I got into office, I thought, okay, I'm not going to have to worry about the major threats until the president's year. And that, and that is not the case. It happened immediately. Uh, Kim Wyman gave me a good uh, exit brief, but the briefing, I'll tell you, it was kind of scary, right? Because she was telling me uh, several thousand uh, cyber threats, both state and local level. Um, and 180 instances of misinformation, disinformation that was reported to Homeland Security. Now, fast forward just two months into my job, two and a half months, we there was a grassroots effort through misinformation 
on something that's called an Albert sensor. Now, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to get a little technical. And Please, because I, I've heard a little bit about this, but right. I would love for you to unpack it for folks. Sure. So an Albert sensor, in short, is a device that's connected to, the, to a network. What it does is it tells you where the data is coming from and going to. It does not read the data. It, does not, it doesn't look at metadata. It's not a firewall, et cetera, et cetera. That's all it does. Homeland Security would like governments to have this and would like to have private sector um, companies that have sensitive information to have it. Why? Because let's say, for example, an Albert sensor is connected to, say, Click Attack County, and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of data coming to Russia or from Russia. That's a red flag, right? Why, why would that happen, right? And so that is part of our layered defense that we have. Now, keep in mind, thank goodness, our tabulation systems are closed, right? You can't hack into them. But still, you know, you get you can look at the website to find out what the numbers are, the transmission data between uh, the counties and the state. So, um, so there was a misinformation effort, a campaign, to say that the Albert sensor, and I am not joking when I'm telling you this because it's, it's going to be laughable, is tied to George Soros with six or seven degrees of separation. <laughs> Therefore, it's a bad system. And it was so effective. It was so effective that a county voted to remove it. Their three commissioners through executive session mm. didn't talk to the auditor, didn't talk to the IT specialist. A county worker went in there and removed the system and alerted us so that we could try to help them put the system back on. Uh, we're not successful yet, uh, but we're continuing to reach out to them. We also had two county auditors that reached out to our office asking us for assistance to push back on the grassroots effort um, uh, of having the sensor removed. One county auditor said, hey, I got to go before my, my, my party central committee and explain why the sensor is important and, and why we have to have it. And that's what's happening. Now, it's also happening on a national level to so something called ERIC, which is a system that states are tied to uh, to, keep, to make sure that, you know, if you, if you die... Uh, we're going to know about it and we remove it or you, you move to another state. But the grassroots effort was so successful in one state, Louisiana, their secretary of state removed their state from Eric um, for review. Now, just a few weeks later from that event, we had communication. We were warned by, by Cyber Command. That is the military Cyber Command that protects the United States from cyber threat. And they informed us that they had found six IP addresses, Russian, that data was being transmitted to from state and local governments. And of course, we had another, we had a meeting of, count, of counties and IT specialists to let them know to be aware of this, to make sure the data isn't being transmitted to that. And by the way, after the Albert sensor incident, what I told you about, we also had convened a meeting with Homeland Security, with CISA, with the, uh, I think the FBI might've been there. We definitely had a member of the Air National Guard, a command a cyber unit that we partner with in all the county auditors. And Kim Wyman was there too, letting folks know, hey, th don't believe in these crazy outrageous conspiracy theories about the about the Albert sensor. You got to have the Albert sensor on because it's part of the defense uh, system that we have to protect, um, protect county, you know, protect the counties and government, their systems, their networks. 
Sorry, I went on too long. No, no, no. It's it actually was a very fulsome answer, and there there's so much in there um, that that speaks to this very coordinated response that you, that you're speaking of. Um, and I, I'm wondering, brass tacks. We know what the challenges are going to be, or well, rather, we anticipate what the challenges are going to be over the next couple of elections, perhaps further out, uh, with extremists trying to prove things like election fraud. I know you're committed to uh, fighting uh, Trump's big lie. How do you see taking on this narrative and in combating this narrative about uh, election fraud from Republicans? It seems like there are, there are two kinds of Republican elections this, at this point, mm-hmm. ones that they won or ones that they were deprived of winning, right? So how, how do you take that on? So number one is we have for decades have taken elections for granted. We simply have. We just They happen and we, we think it's okay. But now people are attacking elections, right? You have candidates running, their message doesn't go through. So what do they do? They claim the election, say it was fraudulent. Um, So now what we have to do is we have to educate the public. We have to let them know, hey, did you know that election observers of any party can go in there? You don't even have to be a party. You can come in to your election center, your local elections, and check out um, the signature matching and the counting. And you know what's crazy is one one of my opponents actually said, we need more transparency from the public. It's like, you can't get any more transparent than that, right? We're letting them in, watching what is going on. Uh, letting people know about Eric, what I just talked about. Sure. I, I know one of you were nodding. You know what it's about because what are we hearing from, from the extremists? They're talking about, oh, dead people vote. Well, guess what? Eric will tell you if someone died and we'll know about it, right? And if a dead person voted, most likely what happened is the spouse voted for the person, and we're going to find it, and we're going to talk to that person, right? If We're going to find out if you're registered in two places. We're going to find out if you voted um, with two ballots. Let's say let's say you moved to Colorado, and you voted there because you got a ballot there, and you voted here because you had a ballot here because you forgot to cancel your, your registration. We're going to know about it. And guess what? People don't know about that. The general public doesn't know about it. Elected officials, a lot of them don't even know about it. So that's number one. Number two? We have to be proactive against lies, right? If, for example, if we see somebody who posts something saying, hey, I I saw a ballot, I'm just doing a scenario here. This didn't actually happen. But let's say a tweet Mm -hmm. or Facebook post said, hey, I I saw a bunch of uh, ballots, you know, secret ballots uh, being stuffed into a drop box in in Yakima. Uh, Well, guess what we're going to do? Number one, we're going to find out that person is real because there's a lot of bots and there's also whole intelligence agencies and other countries that want to undermine us and make up stuff. We're going to find out if that person's real and working with the FBI, and Homeland Security and CISA and having relationships with social media platforms. We're going to go, hey, bring that down. And if, if it is a real person around here, we're going to look at it. We're going to go contact the county auditor in Yakima. We're going to contact the county sheriff. It's like, hey, have you heard about this? The answer most likely will be, yeah, that's not happening. And then we're going to we're going to reply to it. We're going to say, hey, thank you, whoever the hashtag handle is. Hey, thank you. Uh, not happening. We'll continue to monitor. Thank you very much. Um, because here's the thing. We cannot allow a tweet to become a retweet, to become a meme, especially as if it's false or lie. And next thing you know, people are storming the Capitol. A really good example of how, and this happened a couple of years ago before you had this problem of people weaponizing, weaponizing this, 
You had a county auditor in our state. All they wanted to do is they wanted to get another drop box because they were short drop boxes. They called up another county auditor and asked for, hey, can I borrow your drop boxes? Sure. He gets in his pickup truck, and now some of these county auditors only have staffs of two or three, so they're doing all the work. So they get in their personal pickup truck, drive to the other county, put the drop box in their pickup truck, drive back to the county, but they get hungry, so they stop at the mall, get a burger. What's in their pickup truck in the parking lot? It's a drop box, ballot drop box, that someone took a picture of and then tweeted, right? Now, imagine if that happened now with entire intelligence agencies with divine actors just searching the web searching social media for an opportunity to grab a photo like that and quickly weaponize it that's I, I know that there are a number of people from thurston county who are watching here tonight and i don't suppose that uh thurston county auditor mary hall would uh mind my uh, uh revealing that she was the one who actually reported that because she spoke about that here on the show so yeah being proactive here obviously very very key I want to shift over and talk about your many, many qualifications. So, as most people know, you were a state senator for 15 years. Um, I would love for you to just run down a few of the the many things, actually, that you did uh, during your tenure to secure voting rights. Sure. A lot of it was budget-related, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it was uh, a lot of bills from, uh, some from Sam Reed and Secretary Wyman dealing with um, U- UACABA voters, those are our overseas voters, just making sure that you know they have the ability and time to cast their cast their vote. Um, but a lot of it was budget related. You know, same day registration uh, that was that was a thing. Uh, drop boxes, another item that we we pushed out there. Uh, but really, in in the the reason why the governor chose me. The, the real reason I think my legislative experience plays in this is that, you know, look, I, I came from a swing district. I'm, I'm kind of a moderate, um, so I can work with both sides of the office. And really, that's the, the valuable aspect of me being um, someone who's, who's willing to listen to both sides and being Secretary of State. Well, I think it's important for listeners to know and viewers to know that uh, part of the job of Secretary of State, indeed, is the ability to interface with the legislature, correct? So your relationships come in very handy here, I would imagine. It, it does. For example, um, I'm trying to get a bill passed to stop deepfakes from happening in, in campaigns because I think we've seen the technology. All you got to do is go to a movie, right? <laughs> Just go to a movie. You can see these deepfakes happen. Um, and... Imagine, if you will, if some, you know, some some agency created an ad where they had a candidate say something that's totally not true, and it ran. Well, that could be devastating. Sure. So we want to try to get that and lean forward and, and stop that from happening. And I was able, unfortunately, it we just ran out of time, couldn't get passed. But I had bipartisan support on it. Um, and you need that bipartisan effort to get some of these bills passed. And, you know, I had support, bipartisan support on helping us get the budget that we need to move forward on some of these uh, priorities that I have in the budget in, in my office. Well, it's my understanding that during the last legislative session, you secured what I believe is a historic amount of money, $5 million in funding dedicated for new voter outreach and equity, and then also secured $6 million for new cybersecurity, uh, cybersecurity division to protect against mm-hmm. all these sorts of threats that, that we're talking about, right? Right, absolutely. So uh, what we're doing is I'm doubling the size of my, my cybersecurity team. We're strengthening the relationships with our, with our National Guard that assists us during elections. 
Uh, we're providing aid to counties that do the elections, all 39 counties, because they're the ones that actually run the elections. And uh, I think I mentioned a little bit about the Trusted Messenger program, what I want to do for my, um, my outreach, along with having a director that does that. And we're going to do a lot of PR work, right? We're going to hustle, right? We're not going to just sit behind our marble palace in Olympia. We're going to be out there. For example, uh, I, I said, hey, let's, we're going to go to PAX West. Um, hopefully people know what that is, but it, it's basically um, a gaming convention in Seattle. Why am I doing that? Because there's a lot of young people there. We got to be where the young people are at. Let's register them to vote. Let's update their voter file. Uh, we can do that. Um, and I know there's a lot of people from out of state, but guess what? Um, we can direct them to um, a website where they can be registered to vote in their home state, obviously. Um, so let's do that. Let's be active. I do want to talk about gaming, so <laughs> put a pin in that because I know that that's a a particular area of enthusiasm for you. Um, let's talk about your particular bona fides around cybersecurity because we've been talking a lot about this, and I just want to point out, and this is something that we talked about in the introduction. You mentioned it yourself. You served in the military for over 30 years. You continue to serve as a lieutenant colonel in the Washington National Guard. Uh, you were deployed to Iraq and Kosovo. Thank you for your service. Can you just talk a little bit about how all of this is directly translatable to your work as Secretary of State, and specifically on cybersecurity? Absolutely. So um, I had wor worked in the NSA. Um, I can't tell you all the things I didn't. I'm sure you can't. But that covers a lot <laughs> I of it right you. there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing is being a graduate of the Army um, Command General Staff College, where we actually study these things about national security issues on a strategic level and a tactical level. And, and of course, my education at the Department of Defense Information School, where we were taught how to kind of deal with misinformation, disinformation, and uh, being um, uh, communicators to the public. So being able to educate the public on some of the things I told you about, about voter outreach and ERIC and all those things that the public really doesn't know about. Um, so that, that has come in really handy. Uh, we work very closely, uh, and I have worked very closely with, um, with various members in the military and the intelligence agency and in cyber and in information operations, we call it. Um, and so what we're trying to do is reach to those communities to, hi to hire up, to hire some folks in there that can assist us, along with folks in the civilian sector. I think that blending of the two together will help us um, really push back on the misinformation, disinformation that's happening and the cyber threats that are out there. Well, in case we haven't uh, made the case uh, as, as clearly as, as some would like, I, I think we have established just how incredibly qualified you are for this position. Um, so before I would let you go, uh, I do wanna, uh, I, I want people to actually hear a little bit about you personally, because I think your, your story is quite compelling. So in addition to being the first Democrat to hold uh, the Secretary of State uh, position here in Washington for almost uh, 60 years, you are, as you mentioned, the son of an immigrant. You are a member of the AAPI community. You were the first Asian American to hold any Secretary of State position in the United States. That is a ton of firsts. I, w I wonder how you think about all of that. Um, again, when you say that, it makes gives me great anxiety. <laughs> mm. I certainly didn't mean to cause that. Uh, no, no, I, I'm just I hear you. I'm just yeah. it's, uh, no, it's huge. It's um, you know, I just gotta remind myself uh, that I I am here. Uh, having a unique background of what you just mentioned and that by God, I better help those individuals uh, that came from the communities that I came from. 
right? I have to remember the time that my mom struggled. Um, and that's why that, that drives me. Along with the experience I had in the military going overseas to both Kosovo and Iraq, where I, I actually dealt with election security as well there. And I got to tell you, uh, Stefan, what, what, what just, I don't know, what, what, what really just amazes me is the fact that when I was in Kosovo and Iraq, in Kosovo I was a, a quick reaction force during the first elections there in Kosovo. And in Iraq I delivered the, the, the candidate nomination boxes. In both cases, you know, we're under, under threat, right? You know, gunfire, IEDs, and all that kind of stuff. I never thought we would have that situation in our own country when you see what happened in January 6th, right? That's incredible. And and now we have reached a stage where um, it doesn't matter if you have a mighty army protecting you because the enemy can bypass all of that with false narratives, with lies, and spin up our own people, our own citizens in our country. People who say they want to defend America, people who say they respect the Constitution, but instead they are taking the very lies from our enemies and spinning it. And uh, I, I hope that I have the ability to turn this around. And, and oh, and you know, being on shows like this and you all, we have to educate the public on how our elections are ran here. Because there's just too many lies there. So I would ask you this, because you're you're speaking right now to a number of people who are going to be and actually are currently out on the doors talking to voters right now. Um, This is a a very nuanced kind of message that we're trying to deliver here, because, of course, we're hearing things like, um, you know, about inflation, about the economy, about the rising cost of living. And it is our job, our duty. Uh, to also deliver a message that really conveys the very, very serious threat uh, posed to our democracy and our fundamental rights by this MAGA extremist uh, Republican Party. How would you like to hear people speaking about all of that when they're talking to voters? Look, I, I think what you need to do is don't be complacent. Don't be quiet, right? If somebody, if you're at a door or you're talking to your you know, a relative and they're bringing up things like, oh, you know, you know, dead people vote or, you know, uh, and I hate that term illegals, right? They they use that derogatory term, you know, first of all, correct them, it's undocumented. Um, You correct them. It's like, no, that's not true. Did you know that there's something called Eric that says that will track the fact that you, you know, you, you have, if someone moved, right, we're going to know that. Or if you died, someone's, Someone's going to know that. Oh, and also, uh, they do catch people. They do it all the time. Um, it, we just need to shoot down these these false narratives that are being posted. Um, like, we need to have more trans, uh, transparency. It's like, did you know that if you want to right now, you call your county auditor and ask to be an observer? That's what we need to do. Um, I can't do it all, um, but you all can help me with this effort. Um, because all those things you mentioned, we know, actually inflation had a- and, 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 you know, the economy and social justice, all those things are important. But I tell you what, if our elections fail, democracy fails. And that's what keeps me up at night. Right. Because all those things fail. All those things that we want in life as good Americans won't matter if we don't have a functioning government. 
It keeps a lot of us up at night, uh, I think. And I see some heads nodding as well. Um, but you're the one who can really, really do something about it. And we're grateful uh, for that. You mentioned being an observer. Is this something, and we had a question about that very thing, is this something that uh, people should just contact their county auditors about if they're interested in being an observer? Oh, oh absolutely. And, and I think you should do it uh, because it gets you insight, right? If, if you feel, if you're going to engage people, you, you know, what better argument to say, you know, I actually called my county auditor and I just I just saw them counting votes or I saw them uh, verifying signatures. Um, it, it's great to be able to talk from a position where uh, of experience and knowledge. And it won't take that much of your time. A very worthwhile thing to do if anybody is, is listening. And we will try to provide information about that for folks in the show notes uh, to this episode. So. You mentioned the gaming convention. Uh, you are a tabletop game enthusiast. You host your own annual convention. Oh my uh, these goodness, are- you're- you're letting me out. You're, you're exposing uh, me. I'm, right I'm going to oh, add you, my friend. Well, you're not the first. I have to tell you. So these are games like Dungeons and Dragons and Magic mm-hmm. the Gathering. Um, uh, we actually had Representative Drew Hansen on the mm-hmm. program, and he is also a, a games enthusiast. Have you guys connected on that? So we, we have actually talked about Dungeons and Dragons, and we talked about maybe perhaps uh, running a campaign together. Um, so it's something we talked about. The problem is, like, we got different schedules or from different places, but you never know. I mean, we're talking about maybe doing it during, uh, maybe during session. That, that could be, uh, an opportunity there. Uh, but that's be, that's because, uh, actually I'm the first, the only reason that Drew says that he's the first, or you're saying Drew is the first because he came onto your show first. He was, he was the first one to bring it to our attention, but I, who knows who started first? Yeah. That's for you guys to figure yes. out. Well, so I, I also have to ask you just because this is top of mind for me. Are you watching this season of stranger things? I am watching the season of Stranger Things. I had to stop watching the last two episodes because we watch it as a family here. And two of my boys in the na- are in the National Guard. So they're doing their training. So when they come back, uh, we're going to have the time to watch it. It's just killing me because I want to get... <laughs> we're at the end. We've got two more episodes. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're you're, you're a, a child of the 80s, just like myself. It's, it's just chock full of nostalgia, and I remember all those games, and it's just great. Actually, I, I will just ask you, wh- what is your annual convention that, that you host? Is it, is it a big yes. affair? Absolutely. Uh, you all can uh, Google OrcaCon. It's a convention that we Orca-Con, have. OrcaCon, all right. The tabletop game convention um, that we have in uh, in Bellevue, Bellevue Hilton. Um, it's, it's great. Uh, you should do it. All right. Well, you heard have it fun. here. I'll, I'll have that in the show notes as well. OrcaCon. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a couple of audience questions here. I will t- uh, try and get to as many as I can. Um, here's one. You're an advocate for women's reproductive rights. You're also a champion of marriage equality, which we know may be under threat. Can you talk about why it matters that we have a secretary of state who supports these things? Um, it matters that everyone should support these things at every level because that's you have to fight back. Um, I remember when I passed the Reproductive Parity Act, which was the um, major piece of legislation that Planned Parenthood and NARAL wanted to do. And it took years before we had it passed. And at first, I will tell you, when I was approached by it, they said, hey, um, we want you to run this bill. And I said, I, I don't think I'm the right person. You should get a woman to do this. Um, you know, I don't want to ruin it for you. I want this to pass. And they said, no, you don't understand. It's like social justice requires everyone's effort, right? I mean, if you look at civil rights in the past, 
it was it because it passed because everybody was involved. You cannot stay silent. You cannot let one group do all the fighting. And this one thing we learned, right, with the SCOTUS decision is that uh, social justice, individual rights, they're perishable. They can go away. It's a constant fight. You have to stand up. Um, that's why it's important the Secretary of State be pro-choice, um, support marriage equality, support LGBTQ uh, plus issues, um, because they matter. And it's, a, it's ingrained in our democracy. And again, that's all tied. I, I gave the speech again about elections, like, you know, elections matter. And they matter big time, right? Because we saw what happened in this ghost decision. Well, this has been a, tr- a tremendous discussion. I, we really appreciate you taking the time tonight. I would just ask you uh, if you have any final words before we let you go. Well, um, look, it's, uh, this is going to be an important race. And I, I know every candidate says that, oh, my race is the most important race. But guess what? This is dealing with our elections. Without elections, you don't have a democracy. right? I, I can't get any more, um, more pointed than that. Uh, that's why this election really matters. The other thing is it, you need to enjoy the other parts of Secretary of State's office that we're doing. Please check out your local library um, and check out our state library. Um, we're going to do a lot with that, with uh, with corporations. We're going to try to do field offices so people can be face-to-face and not have to drive all the way to Olympia. Um, so we got a lot of things going on. And if uh, you're interested in some tabletop games, hey, I'll be there in January. Come see me. Uh, maybe we'll roll some dice together. I will just ask you, since you brought up the campaign, I will ask you just one final closing question, and that is this. Why in your mind does it matter that we have a Democrat, an avowed Democrat in this race, as opposed to somebody who is uh, asserting themselves as a nonpartisan? Well, you know what you're getting, for one. Um, you know, I one thing I don't want to do is tell you that we should, like, reject someone out hand because they have a party label. But I think we all know that this time, this particular time with January 6th and everything that's going on and the fact that there's voter suppression that's happening in other parts of the country, uh, you know, you, you should probably go with what your belief system is in, in this. And I know indivisible believes in individual freedom. You don't believe in voter suppression. You want people to, to actually vote. Um, so if those things are important to you, then you should probably vote for the Democrat in the race. Um, that's, me. that's me. Well, we would love to have a discussion about your campaign uh, more uh, thoroughly, and we would love to speak with you after the primary if you'd like to come back. Uh, but for now, uh, we will just say thank you so much, Secretary of State Steve Hobbs. It's been such a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that'll do it for this week. If you would like to see a video of this or any of our programming, head to facebook.com slash indivisiblepodcast. The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org and the email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at indivisiblepod. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin and thanks as always to Lori Caldwell. My thanks as well to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.